When you hear about threatening weather reports, you take action, right? What about when things turn rough spiritually? We live right now in a time in this society where there is a vortex that unless we resolve in advance who we will live for, we will be sucked in to that spiritual vortex. Thanks for joining us today for Moody Presents with Dr. Mark Job, founding pastor of New Life Community Church and president of Moody Bible Institute. You know, for decades, thousands of folks have traveled to Chicago to Moody Bible Institute every February to enjoy what we call Founders Week, a great Bible conference, great teaching and music. But, you know, they haven't always enjoyed battling the Windy City's blustery winter weather. Seems like we save up the worst for February. So we've got exciting news to share with you to make it easier to visit Moody Bible Institute for this beloved annual free Bible conference Well, Founders Week will now take place every October, starting this year. So mark your calendar to join us for Founders Week, October 18 to 20. Three memorable days of inspiring teaching and worship. Now, because this is the start of our exciting transition year, Moody went ahead and we hosted Founders Day, sort of a preview of our upcoming Founders Week. We enjoyed great music from Shane and Shane. Several terrific speakers, and in the evening, Dr. Mark Job spoke to a packed Tory Gray auditorium. Our theme is taken from Daniel chapter 3, Resolve, Standing Firm Under Pressure. And Dr. Job's message, which we're about to share half of with you today, is based on the life of Daniel and his three friends. Their steadfast determination to boldly follow God turned them into what Mark Job calls firewalkers. With part one of his Founders Day message, here's Pastor Mark Job. I'm glad that you came out on a very cold evening because I do believe that God wants to do something this evening, speak to us, meet with us, minister to us, challenge us, exhort us, push us. The theme of Founders Day is resolve, standing firm under pressure. As I was thinking about this theme, the image that came to my mind was maybe a year ago or so, my wife and I, by the way, she's in the house, D-Job. Yeah, right over there. We were actually uh, on vacation and we were in Mexico And they had told us that these beaches were fairly dangerous because of the undertow. And they said, don't go swimming in these beaches because they're extremely dangerous. People drown. There's this undertow that can just drag you in very precariously. And so we said, okay, we're not going to go swimming. We'll just walk along the beach. And so... Uh, We were taking a little stroll along the beach, and I got a phone call on my vacation, and all of the sudden, I hear, Mark, 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 and uh, I, I, I said, I have an emergency, and I looked over, and there she was, my wife, being sucked in on the ground. Now, she was just walking. 
She had been knocked over by a wave, and I saw her body just being sucked into the ocean. And so I ran as quickly as I could, and I grabbed her hand, and it slipped, and she kept being sucked in. And so I grabbed her shirt that they were there, and I was pulling, pulling, pulling. And then another wave came, and you know, and it knocked me down too. So both of us were being sucked in. And then finally, she was like, this is strong. You were going in, and, and I managed to get up, and, and I said, come on, let's get out of here. And so I pulled her, and I said, hang on to my leg. And so she grabbed onto my leg. I wanted to go. And she grabbed onto my leg, but I didn't do that. But she held onto my leg as the next wave came in, and it just kind of sucked us back again. And finally, I was able to get her up and pull her out together. And um, my, I lost my shoe. Her hair was messy. We had sand all over. When we walked back to the house, the kids said, what happened to you? And she said, he saved my life. I said, yeah, it saved her life. Once again. But let me tell you, the pressure, the vortex, getting sucked in, an influence that you feel like you can't control, something that you don't want to get sucked into, but it's powerful. It's enormous. We live right now in a time in this world, in this society, where there is a vortex that unless we resolve in advance how we will live, who we will live for, we will be sucked in to that spiritual vortex. And so I'd like to take your attention to Daniel chapter 3. I've entitled this message, The Fourth Man. I want to take your attention to Daniel chapter 3 because there's an incredible, powerful, compelling story of a young man in his teenage years, probably as we zoom into this. This is just a snapshot. This is just a be real moment. It's not before. It's not after. I've tried to ban be real moments in our chapels, but, um, but I want you to hear this, this moment, this capturing just this image in time. Daniel chapter 3, verse 24, listen. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. You know, when I read this passage, it does something inside of me to see a pagan, hedonistic person jumping in amazement as he sees the evidence of God. 
Hey, I believe that God is raising up a generation of men and women that will cause people of influence to jump to their feet and say, I see a fourth man. I'm, I'm praying that God will rise up a generation. And as you look at the story of these men that were walking in the fire, well, I call them firewalkers. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about how to be a generation of firewalkers. Here's what I want you to know about firewalkers. It's a generation that causes pagan, hedonistic people people that have very little regard for God and spirituality, the God of the Bible, to jump to their feet, to pay attention, and to say, I see something, the fourth man. And here's what I've observed about firewalkers from this context in this passage. First of all, I want you to know that firewalkers hold firmly to convictions in a culture that tries to strip them of their identity. Uh, you know the story here, but there's four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And some of you are saying, well, I'm not really sure who those men are. They, their names don't sound familiar. Well, if you're at Moody Bible Institute, you do because you're a Bible scholar. But for those of you that aren't, you may know them more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Today, we'd call them Shaq, Rack, and Benny, but back in those days, and so what you might not understand about these men, these four, is that they were probably about 14, 15, 16 years old. They were teenagers. Now, in approximately 606 B.C., in the third year of King Jehoiakim of Judah, Daniel was taken into Babylonian captivity. He was the first of three deportations. These teenagers were taken by force from their homes, plunged into a dominant pagan spiritual culture, told to forget their God, reject their roots, intensely re-educated in a pagan culture and promised success and significance if they conformed. 14, 15-year-olds, sophomores and juniors in high school, ripped from their home, all that they know, plunged into a society that is intent on having them forget their roots, their background, and intensely, strategically, intentionally re-educating them to be a success in the pagan culture as they abandon their spiritual roots. How did they do this? Well, it was part of the re-education process to change their name. Normally, that was meant to strip them of the old identity and reestablish a new identity. You see, the, the plan was, let's take those who have potential, but let's take away the vestiges of their spiritual roots. Let's, let's demean where they come from. Let's make them despise their spiritual heritage, their roots, their upbringing. 
let's re-educate them and and reform them to adapt to a new form of spirituality that is the Babylonian culture. And so it starts with identity. Smart. In fact, they would select them, and it was about the age of 14 or 15, like I said, that they would change their names. Daniel, which means God has judged, became Belshazzar, which means the keeper of the hidden treasures of Bel, a pagan god. Hananiah, which means Jehovah has been gracious, became Shadrach. We don't really know the exact meaning of this Shadrach, but it contains the pagan deity Marduk. Michelle, who means who is like God, became Meshach, a name which contains one of the ancient forms of the name of the deity Venus. Azariah, which means Jehovah has helped, became Abednego, the servant of Nebo. Do you see what's happening here? Their God identity, their Jehovah-based root and identity is suddenly affecting their name. So now every time their name is called out by this new pagan society, every time they're called to dinner, every time they're addressed, every time they're referred to, every time their name is written down, now it has pagan significance. It's tied to a pagan culture. It's tied to a new form of viewing the world, a new spirituality. Why? Because the goal of this society was to strip them away from their heritage and create a new pseudo-spirituality. Now, it wasn't godless. It was just pagan. It wasn't lack of spirituality. It was very spiritual, but it was hedonistic. It was anti-Jehovah God spirituality. It was seeded with success and significance and power. It was viewed as the dominant culture of society. Look, we have overcome you Israelites We have power. We are the dominant force of this universe. We have the ability to conquer you. If your God was so great, he would have protected you. Our God is greater. Our culture is stronger. Look at our palaces. Look at our strength. Look at our army. Look at our education. Become more enlightened like we are. This is progress. It's the new world. It's the Babylonian world. It's the world that many gods exist and we exist together in this world. And there is a a plethora of gods that you can worship and there are wise men and kings that advise us and this is an advance from your ancient old medieval form of following God. What amazes me is that a 14 or 15 year old has the inner strength, courage, audacity, depth, rootedness to resist. You're listening to a special edition of Moody Presents. It's a look back at Founders Day. 
And if you're a regular listener, you might be thinking, hey, what happened to Founders Week? In a sentence, we're moving. That's right, coming this October, October 18 to 20 to be exact. We're going to transition Founders Week to a little bit weather-friendlier kind of month, at least in the Windy City. So we hope to see you then on our campus, and if not on campus, certainly on air or online, to take part in three memorable days of great teaching and worship. Well, there's more to learn in this terrific message from Pastor Mark, taking us to the lives of Daniel and his three friends and the stark reality that opposition is a part of their lives, of course, and increasingly a part of ours as we seek to follow God. So what can we learn from them? Well, there's more as we continue with Pastor Mark Job's message here on Moody Presents. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Who was speaking to Daniel? Who was encouraging him? There's something deeply rooted in his soul. There's a connection to his God. There's a spiritual voice speaking to his inner being. And in the face of tremendous pressure, and in the face of you will be a failure if you do not conform, Daniel makes a decision. This 15-year-old resolves. He's not blasting it. He's not making a parade over it. But it's a deep, inner, powerful decision that he makes. He resolves in his heart not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. You know, resolve means firm determination to do something. Other translations say say he made up his mind. Or he made a commitment. He resolved. It doesn't seem like it's a big commitment that he makes. It's about dietary food. But you see, it was the open door of compromise. Daniel, from his Jewish roots, had been taught that there was certain food that was um, inappropriate for his faith. That if he was going to follow his faith strongly, that this is not a diet that he would engage in. The wine typically in those days was offered to the gods, and so there was sort of a sacrilegious tone to that as well. And so Daniel decided, it seemed like a small thing, but Daniel decided, I'm, listen, I'm not going to compromise in the small things. Because when we start compromising the small things, it becomes a snowball effect that causes us ultimately to compromise in the greater things of life. He resolves. And I believe that firewalkers are men and women that resolve quietly, strongly. In their heart, they make up their mind, I will be in the world, but not of the world. They determine in their mind, I will maintain my identity in God. 
I will not let anybody else try to shape, strip, take away the identity that I have. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 3, verse 12, but there were some Jews whom you have set over, and this leads us to what happened here that would test them in a, in a major way. Nebuchadnezzar, who was a bit of an egomaniac, decides that he's going to unify the culture around his persona, and so he creates this statue, this huge statue that's impressive, and he uh, says to everybody as he gathers them together that when they sing, when they start to hear the music, that all of them will bow down to this statue. And it came to light that in Daniel chapter 3, but there were some Jews who you have set over the affairs of Babylon. Some people came to talk to him about it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods, nor they worship the image of gold that you have set up. You see, the beginning of firewalking doesn't start with mega decisions. It doesn't start with some grandiose stance that you make. The beginning of being a firewalker that causes the world to jump up and see the fourth person, which is the presence of the Almighty God, is when you resolve in your heart, I will stop compromising in the small. I will determine in my heart who I am before God, and I will resolve who I am and how I will live regardless of the culture that surrounds me. The second thing that I see about firewalkers in this passage is that firewalkers accept that there will be a price to pay for their unbending faith. So the ceremony goes. People are called to worship this idol that is set up. And as the music starts to play as the symphony goes, people from all over the land, thousands and upon thousands gathered in this patriotic ceremony, so to speak. They all bow down. But there are three individuals somewhere in the crowd, probably way in the back, trying not to be noticed, but they refuse to bow down. It tells us in Daniel chapter 3, verse 4 to 6, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, some scholars believe that this happened immediately while... These were still teenagers. Others argue that it happened a few years later, regardless of whether they were 15 or 21. We don't really know exactly. Nonetheless, they had determined in their heart that they would not compromise, that they would not bow down. Can I tell you something? God often puts us in places and positions for purposes that are greater than our personal perspective can perceive. And I ran out of peas. You know, here's the thing that I want you to understand about that culture, and I want you to understand about this culture. The issue wasn't that they were following Jehovah God. People followed all kinds of gods in those days. 
you could add another god. People chose their favorite gods. They worshiped gods in clans and in clubs. They determined which god they wanted to worship. So it wasn't that they worshiped Jehovah God. The early believers in the first centuries that were thrown to the lions in the gladiator arena, it wasn't because they worshiped Jesus. The Romans worshiped hundreds of gods. They had unions, so to speak, around the God of Venus and around the God of love and the God of war and the God of fertility. There was a massive industry around the gods and artifacts around that gods. And so the fact that Christians worship Jesus and were persecuted is a misconception that they were persecuted because they worship Jesus. Most people in the Babylonian era era, and the Roman era and 2023, they don't really care that you worship Jesus. We really hate to pause right in the middle of this Founder's Day message from Dr. Mark Job. So important for us to grasp what Pastor Mark is sharing here. We hope you'll get back next week because the reality is this. You and I are living in a generation that seeks to train the next generation of of Christ followers, but you and I need to be firewalkers ourselves. As we face increasing opposition from our culture, from our world, we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus is right there with us. He is our hope. But we do need a biblical foundation, right? And that's what these messages are all about. Do come back next week for the conclusion of this keynote address from Founders Day. And a reminder that we're going to revisit Founders Week again in October. Care to be there in person? It all happens October 18 to 20. I'm John Geiger thanking you for listening to Moody Presents, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.